You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Greetings, weary listeners. You have come to this podcast seeking something. What is it, I wonder? Is it knowledge of long-forgotten secrets, ancient and forbidden? Is it the dark craving to fill your wanton ears with tales of darkness, depravity, and dread? Or is it perhaps to slake your already gluttonous desire for more knowledge, having already tread down this dark path of horror storytelling for countless eons, only to haunt it for countless more, undying, eternal? Welcome, then, to the Storyteller Conclave. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Hey, friends. (laughs) We thought we'd have a little bit of fun there at the beginning to get you guys in the mood. And that's what we're talking about today. Yes. We are, uh, we, it, it literally, we, we had a, we had a journey with that word mood. God, we had it. Oh man. We, we were what? like, they were doing theme. Is style? it genre? Is it style? What's Taste? That? And then we pulled up some old notes and it was like, how do you set the mood? And I was like, oh my God, it mood. was right there. Mood was the word. Why, why, why couldn't we think of the word mood? We should, we should just stop. We should not do podcasts anymore. We're done. We're yeah, done. Yeah, we'll just flip so the table. So this will be it's the over. last episode. Yep, seriously. <laughs> No. And then and then literally like a day or two later, we're like, oh, we need to start filling out the show sheet. And I'm like, yeah, I got a few things written down there. And Sarah's like, I have opinions. And I'm like, okay. And I look away from the show sheet for a couple hours. And when I come back, there are three pages of notes. I had opinions. My hand slipped. Sorry, guys. It's all right. It's all right. You're stuck in here with me now. That's right. And Knox apparently in Technolet. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us. If you uh, if you want to join us on the chat in the future, join our Patreon. Go to patreon.com, look up Storyteller Conclave and chat you know, us during the show. Check shoot a box. questions at us. And, That's uh, right. We'd love to have you. Love absolutely. to have you. So, uh, we have a show to talk about today that's we full of do. horror and dread. Full of horror and dread. So the uh, the mood. Yeah. How do you set the mood for horror and dread? How do you tell those kind of stories and have it land? Have it uh, be effective? Have sufficiently freak out your uh, your player characters? There's one thing you taught me. What's that? Anticipation. Oh, is he? <laughs> Bob, if you're going to do it, do it right, man. Hey, it's, we only have an hour. I can't squeeze that much time out of it. That's so. true. That's true. So, uh, but no, I think anticipation has a lot to do with it. And I think anticipation is something that is not in the rules. Like, mm-hmm. where rules talk about timing, they talk about uh, rhythm, like of, of when things should come out. Sure. They talk about, you know, rounds and cycles and things like that. And some actually talk about heartbeats in stories. Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, your heartbeats are when important moments happen, but they don't really talk about individual scenes and how to kind of cultivate how a scene goes together. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot, a lot of systems have some sort of a storyteller section in them. Um, that, you know, look at, look at, uh, there's, there's the whole dungeon master's guide. Right. Um, but, you know, most other sec, uh, uh, most of the systems that have like a core book to them will at least have a chapter, if not an entire section of the book de- dedicated to how to tell the story. Right. And there are a lot of great tips. Oh, in don't those, get me wrong. I agree. I agree. About how to set atmosphere and mood and stuff like that. But right. Um, I, what I what I find is that horror is one of those things that it's not really it's not easy to like it's easy to make people feel heroic in a heroic game. Mm-hmm. It's. It's it's uh I do it uh, all the time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty easy to just put on some some background music from you know some fight music from Final Fantasy or something like that, uh you know and and set an appropriate mood for a for a tough fight or something like that. But horror is one of those one of those ones that it gets a little tricky with the storytelling. Hmm. So, um, on a, on a side note, hey Illy May, go ahead and jump on the podcast Detroit website and go into the listen to live and hit uh. Studio Four, and see if you can hear us there. Uh, it's not just the phone app anymore. Give it a shot. But thanks for joining us too. Yeah, thank you, Lemmy. Uh, so, uh, but I, I, I've struggled at it. Mm-hmm. It's not something. I, I mean, I really don't like. I don't watch horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind certain themes when it or the the theme of horror or mm-hmm. the mood of horror when it's appropriate when it makes sense to the story. Ugh. But like 
you'll never see me like watching slaughterhouse or gore you know i think that there's certain senses of dread that make fun movies like Mm -hmm. you've got the um warm bodies has a certain sense of dread in it but it's not really horror it's zomedy yeah (laughs) zomedy yeah it's or zomcom as they call it yeah right uh so i think there's a certain um thanks heatsink um there's a certain sense of division there and i think we need to kind of remind that we're today's mood is going to be more to, away from that. That we're going to be focusing more towards the, um, uh, more towards what the differences in horror and dread are, and yes. not so much zomcom. We're kind of sidestepping that. Yes, so. yes, yes. So uh, now, before we go any further, um, we do want to just uh, kind of issue just a minor disclaimer. Yeah. Um, we are going to be delving into this subject of horror. Yeah. And dread. Yep. Um. We may be giving some examples, um, some descriptions, and some descriptions and stuff like that. So, uh, subject matter in this podcast may get just a, a little, a little tense, dark. Maybe um, I, we we are doing this with the um, understanding, though, that these are just descriptions of things, and yeah. that uh, we are going to try to keep this above board, uh, yeah. you know, family friendly, yeah, as best as we can. Just understand that if you do, you know, kind of squick easily, yeah, I think is the word. Um, yeah. then we're gonna try not to hit a lot of. I mean, we we're gonna do our best not to hit bad buttons, but it's gonna get hit because of what we're talking about so in general. Just exercise some discretion, please. Yes, yes. So, so that's that being said. Stephen King or Ray Bradbury? Uh, is it uh, Crypt Keeper or is it Twilight Zone? Mm, very good questions. Very uh, let's, good questions. Let's let's back it up just a little bit before okay. that. Okay. Though. Okay. Okay. Because okay. you, okay. you defined horror and you defined dread and you designed zo- d- defined zomcom. Yes. Um. But or rather, you threw those terms out there. But let's. Yeah, let's, that's true. We should kind of talk about what yeah, they are. Let's All talk right. about what those are for a second. Um. So basically, there's there's really two kind of key types of fear. Yes. That you can evoke. Okay. Right. And that is horror. And that is dread. Yes. Now, those sound like synonyms, mm-hmm. but I assure you they are not. Yes. Okay. Horror is defined as an intense feeling of fear, shock, or disgust, whereas dread is great fear or apprehension. Mm-hmm. Okay. How these work in practice is when you know that the monster is in the next room over, but you are not in any immediate danger, but you know the monster is there. Mm-hmm. You feel dread. Yep. When the monster whips around the corner and you see fangs and tentacles, that's horror. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That feeling you're getting, that's horror. That's horror. Yeah. And and just to be clear, just as much as if your story is in setting, like we'll go back to the high school setting, uh-huh. if you know that the exam starts in 10 minutes- the feeling you're feeling is, is dread. dread. Whereas when you get to the exam and see that it's 26 pages and you have one hour- that's, That's horror. horror. Yes. <laughs> so, but again, we're 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 kind of defining that in the show is that we're not just talking about horrible things, right? We're talking about a mood. Yeah. How to evoke that feeling? Um, now we're going to get into horrible things. Don't get us wrong. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's oh, there's plenty of. Horrible it's much things easier to get into horrible things. Um. So, anyways, that those are. I, I kind of want you to understand that the the two of those because there's two different ways in which you evoke those feelings. Yeah, and okay. I think. You have a good example as we start getting into this, like we were just talking about the different storytelling styles um, by throwing those names out there. Mm-hmm. But I think you kind of defined a really good explanation of dread. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people recognize it in dread, and that is aliens is a good example of dread because you don't see the aliens. You don't see the alien, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, if you had seen the trailers – Mm-hmm. You knew what to expect, but that most of that movie was about the dread that they were there. I mean, everybody remembers the scene where he's looking down at the scanner and the dots are getting closer and the dots are getting closer. And there is – if it was just a screen of a dude holding a controller that's saying they're getting closer, they're getting closer, that's a sense of dread on its own. Uh-huh. But then there are these other elements that wrap around that that you don't know what the heck – it is. You're hearing the beeping of the of the thing. You're seeing the dots getting closer. Yep. You're watching people get freaked out. Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on why all of those are great elements of setting mm-hmm. the mood later. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the and it's all contrasted against them standing in a perfectly still and silent room. Yeah, and screaming things like "That's inside the room. That can't be right. They're right, right on top of us. Right. Where are they? Room is still still. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, you know, you're, you're feeling that impending sense of it could happen at any moment. Yeah. That's dread. That is the essence of dread right there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the typical, the call is coming from inside the house. Yes. Yes. Like that realization, you know, where it's, this isn't something external. This is something internal. I would almost say that the end of Fight Club has a sense of dread. Because mm-hmm. you realize it's internal. It was him the whole time. Spoiler alert, by the way. Whatever. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. We ain't talking about this. Rob, so really? <laughs> but uh, I would say that uh, when you're framing things like that, remember that that's, that's a big thing. You can throw that dread and it has nothing to do with mechanics. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's untouchable. Oh, yeah. So yep. – yeah, dread, dread of of the two. Dread is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, like I said, I've I've got I've got some pretty strong opinions about this one. Yeah, I liked your. Uh, I can take it in a fight. Kind yeah. of, kind of is a is a, another statement that's part of that whole like. Is it really scary? So let's let's talk about that. Though. Yeah. Okay. So so we started saying is it is it Stephen King or is it Ray Bradbury? Is it right. is it, is it Crypt Keeper or is, is it, it Twilight, Twilight Zone? Zone? Okay. Yeah. So are we talking about monster horror? Right. Or are we talking about human horror? Right. And now when I when I say human horror, I understand we're dealing with fantasy, you know, gaming and stuff like that. So right. what what I mean is human as in like relatable humanoid, right. you know, consciousness. A demon who is tricking you. Uh well you know, well no, hum, or, human human horror more on the level of is this just a person? Right. Who is the scary thing or is it an eldritch being from beyond the stars? That's monster horror. Right. But like the grim uh, uh, uh the the uh Jack the Ripper Mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper is human horror. Yes. Because that was just a dude. And yeah. you did all those messed up things. Sure. So that's the first the first kind of discussion we want to have is when we're talking about horror, are we talking about monster horror or human horror? <clears throat> and that comes down to the the first thing about how to execute monster horror. Um is monsters are only scary if you can't fight back. Or you, you, you or you can't fight the feeling. No, if you can't fight back. All right, fair enough. Dead, dead serious. That's that's the line right there. Okay, okay, okay. okay. So, um, for instance, uh, a great example of this is like the difference between. See, I'm thinking of a of a video game series um, that I that I played a little a little while ago. Well, for instance, Alien is a great example. Sure. Okay, the first Alien movie, yeah. not. Not second, where we have colonial marines on the spot. Right, right. Okay. The first one, where we are a bunch of scientists and geologists. Pretty much, yeah. In in a in a, a some ship in the middle of nowhere, didn't know what the hell they were excavating. Right. Um. Nobody on that ship stood a chance against the xenomorph. No. no. At all, they were just cannon fodder for the thing. Right. Um. Even with all their makeshift, they tried to make flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever harmed that monster. Yes. Even Ripley, yeah. who essentially thwarts it at the end, didn't take it in combat. No. She strapped herself in and blew it out the airlock. That's right, because the okay. smart woman with the cat survived. Right. She, exa- exactly. <laughs> exactly. And no one listened to the smart woman with, with the, the cat. cat Not a they all one. died. That's right. <laughs> Five stars. That's right. Um, but yeah, she doesn't even she doesn't even beat the thing at the end. No. She 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 traps it and thwarts it, but yeah. she does not defeat it. Nope. Um. So uh, the 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 whole thing is you you must feel helpless, okay? Because the moment you can fight the monster, mm-hmm. it becomes a combat challenge, and it becomes a stat block. Yeah, and I mean, if if, if I've got a machine gun, I'm not afraid of the zombies. Yeah, or if or if I can move at a faster pace than it, or I can outheal it, or whatever. If I'm fighting numbers, mm-hmm. that's a matter of roles. Um, what I was thinking about earlier was the uh, the video game uh, that I that, that I played uh, a series called Penumbra. It was a survival horror uh, video game, first okay. person. Okay. Um, really great games if you got them. Um, same people who made Amnesia, Dark Descent. Oh, that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, another game I didn't play, but know of. The first game is called Penumbra Overture. Okay. And the second second game in the series is called Penumbra Black Plague. Great. Overture gave you a mining pick. 
Now, it was not a terribly effective weapon. Right. But what you could do is you could grab these um, gas canisters that were around. Mm -hmm. And if you hit the gas canister, it would have like a three-second counter before it blew up. Mm -hmm. And you could pick it up and fling it in a direction and it would blow up and kill some of the monsters for you. Sure. And once you figured that out. Game was over. It was just – I mean it was was unwieldy. It wasn't like a gun where it was just point and click. Right. You know what? I stopped. I stopped being afraid. It was tense. It was it was, it was tense, but I wasn't horrified by the game. Right. Okay. And I was really happy when I started playing Penumbra Black Plague, the sequel, um, when they utterly removed that mechanic from the game. You didn't have even a single weapon. Right. You had a light source. Congratulations. You you can now see the horrors coming out at you that you yep. are defenseless against. Yep. Um and uh, they like even even picking up objects in the environment and flinging them at them did nothing. Nope. They were just inexorable and they killed you. Yep. And that game scared the living poop out of me. And that was all, that was all it took. Yep. I just needed to not be able to fight back. So let's take a step from that. Yeah. To what you can't identify. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a big thing in. Specifically like D&D and game settings is we're all about coming to identify the thing, what things are. Yeah. So many things times. Things have names. Things have stats. Things right. Have, like yeah. the, the moment that someone's just like, oh, it's breathing acid and it's got multiple legs and came out of a, a dungeon wall. Uh, that That's a carry on. You know, I, I know the stats on that thing. Even though your character might not, your brain is already in that mode. You know, it's already identified what the monster is, what the horror is, and now it's it's in, I guess, defense mode, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. So how do we move from unable to do anything about it to not knowing what the heck it is? Uh, and that's, that's, that's definitely step number two. You, If you can't identify it, you can't wrap your brain around it. And if you can't wrap your brain around it, you will fear the hell out of it. Right. Fear is bred from the unknown. Um. This is actually I, – I, we, we talked about it last episode. Yeah. I'm going to throw it right out there. This is one of those things that Lovecraft did very, very well. I agree. His, um, his descriptions were largely – it was indescribable. Right. But we saw the effect that it had driving people insane and yep. eating them or that was the last time they were ever heard from or mm-hmm. they, they came out of some twisted monstrosity afterwards or something. Yeah. But – his description was, what the hell is that? Yeah. Um, alien. Again, you mentioned it earlier. Yep. They never showed the thing. No. And I think that was one of the best parts about it was that the alien, you you did, it almost felt like every time you saw it, you saw a different aspect. Mm-hmm. Another thing that it was either better at or faster at or more deadly at or yep. whatever. Like every single step, it was like, how you, how do you how do you beat something that literally can you know step out of a out of fire mm-hmm. you know or that not only like after you're holding its mouth it has another mouth to kill you with yes exactly you know, <laughs> you know that that says it right there it's like okay okay dude dude all right i got its claws great i got its head great what what is that is that another mouth like when I, its I, jaws open wide exactly. and there's more jaws inside <laughs> that, yeah. that's a more that's right that's right <laughs> It um, actually is a more eel. So that is a more eel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's how that works. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually pulled this off of IMDb. The Xenomorph has four minutes of screen time in that movie, and doesn't make its first appearance until almost an hour into the film. Isn't that amazing? It's phenomenal. That's great storytelling. That is amazing storytelling. It yeah. is the subject. The name is literally alien. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't see it until an hour into the movie. If that if that was true for like John Wick. Like you didn't see John Wick until an hour into the movie. You just saw oh, bodies. He'd be the scariest no, no. mofo. In you just j- saw bodies. That's yeah. all. Like it was all coming from a like you show like John Wick four aftermath, and it's right. literally just the assassins who were sent to kill him, who are geared to the nines. There's like a whole squad of them, and it's just them going building to building and finding nothing but bodies of everyone else who was involved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, that that would be dread for them. Yes. You know, excitement for that last moment, but dread for them. So, yeah, it's 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 that inevitability. Um but I think that presses that inevitability, that that kind of pause kind of presses us into stepping away from monsters and mm-hmm. into that human aspect. Oh yeah. Oh, because yeah. if you can identify it, 
but you can't comprehend why mm-hmm. or what or what's next. I think like the Moriarty kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Where it just is there and it's powerful and it's 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 not just dominance because that's that can be an aspect. Uh-huh. But I think that that's it, it's a cheaper form of it. You know, when it's yeah. when it's smarter. But it's it's smarter in simplistic ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was one of the things that made Moriarty as a character that keeps returning beautiful, like that mastermind villain mm-hmm. who just doesn't go away because he's prepared for everything. Yeah. You know, even though his plans are ridiculous. He seems inexorable. Right. Yeah. Right. The Joker is a, is a character that is kind of like that, where mm-hmm. you, the, you see the simplicity, you know, simplisticness of 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 what you're allowed to see mm-hmm. but behind that it just keeps getting deeper yeah you know yeah. and and well the the, and the the thing the thing about human horror is that um it, in the exact opposite of monster horror it depends on you being able to identify in some way with that person if even only that we're both people like this isn't a monster the joker isn't a monster no the joker's a dude he's a dude and he does all these horrible things and kills all these people in all these horrible ways and he enjoys it. Yeah. And like on some fundamental level, you and me and him are all the same because we're both people. Yeah. Like we're on the same playing field. He's nothing supernatural. No. You know? No. I mean granted he might not feel pain the same way now but realistically that's about it. Um, it's one of the, one of the things is that the character doesn't actually have to experience any of these like psychological aspects themselves. Yeah. Okay. Just witnessing it can really set a mood of horror. Totally. Um, what comes to mind is like, um, Hellblade, Send You a Sacrifice. Have you ever got a chance to play that? I've watched it. The, uh, the main character of that from the very beginning. Right at the opening. Narrated by the voices in her head. Mm -hmm. That, uh, also kind of act as like combat cues for you because they like whisper things like, look out from behind and stuff. You know, just, that's how you know that you're about to get attacked. Right. Is the voices in your head tell you. Right. You know, and they are not nice no, to you no at and, all. and they did a good job of surrounding you in that oh, sound yeah. if you listen to that with headphones i, I on. listened to a couple of the playthroughs on uh-huh. headphones and they said they captured it in the 3d surrounds it really did sound like that it was yeah. really really challenging but but being but being in the front seat to kind of witness firsthand mm-hmm. um madness and psychoses and and all these you know horrifying things that kind of um you know, are terrible aspects of the human mind mm-hmm. um, is a horrifying experience. Yeah. You know, having to watch that and having to experience it and knowing that she is going through these things. Right. You know, so you don't have to horrify your players directly. Correct. Simply putting something horrifying in front of them and saying, this is happening now. I'll get, I got a good example for you. Uh-huh. So uh, I was reading about different things as we we're getting up to this and a mm-hmm. guy had written a two scenes for an opening and because he he had his players kind of talk about you know uh write him uh who they were and so he rewrote the intro and the the opening of his story was about a war that was happening his players were basically um uh guards on a caravan mm-hmm. some of them were part of the caravan people who were traveling some of them were just guards in the caravan mm-hmm. um and it was a the distance was a pretty long distance between these two uh, major cities uh, and where war breaks out between their country and another country and it's a border area. Mm-hmm. And so they come over this rise to the ba- to the remnants of the battle yeah. and battle in the distance, you know, and um, they're expecting like they're tired. You know, they're all exhausted. Like he literally started them off with a point of exhaustion mm-hmm. because they had been traveling for so long. Sure. And so as they're coming down to the village, his original point was that, you know, they find a lot of ash and burn and very few things and they could search for stuff. And then he read that a lot of the players' backstories were of training and academia and things like that. And he's like, none of these people have ever seen war, like the carnage of war. Mm -hmm. And so he rewrote the scene and the end of the scene is them finally pulling into the town and they see a little girl covered in soot. 
Mm-hmm. And she's clearly like the area around her eyes are darker and streaked from her tears, mm-hmm. and she's holding the burnt remains of her teddy bear in her in her oh, burnt hands, baby. And that's he he wanted them to realize the dread of uh, the dread of war. Yeah, that it's right, and they could still see uh-huh. the fires in the next town, like which is like uh, you know maybe several hours journey away. Yeah, yeah along yeah, the yeah. same river. And it's like they know what's happening there, mm-hmm. that this is not the end. And it was like that they're they're going to be chasing this war all the way to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And that's really what his campaign was about was they had to somehow beat the front to figure – you know, to help. Sure, sure. And Gesundheit. Um, so I, I liked the way that he decided because his players didn't mm-hmm. know – like his the backgrounds never put put that out, so he decided to rewrite to give them perspective. Sure, sure, and I absolutely. Thought, I mean, that's that's a way to take and set a mood. Uh huh. That that's 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 horrific. You're seeing horror, but at the same time, it's instilling dread. Yeah. So you're yeah, getting no, both, and those are human. That's a, there's nothing supernatural about that moment. Yeah. That's that's simple, and it's. It's effective. It's mm-hmm. powerful. I mean, I feel bad talking about it. I know, right? You know, and he went into greater detail than that. Like oh, he sure. was I mean, he described um in I mean, and we're not even talking like super creative, you know, you know, ridiculous writing like you'd find in sci-fi sure, sure, or anything sure. like that. It was just very plain text yeah. all the way down to the moment when they they see the little girl by the well. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you're you're like, "Oh my god, like there's nothing here. There's nothing left." Yeah. And it's just – it's powerful. That mm-hmm. kind of stuff is powerful. So I – you have to remember that when we're talking about psychological horrors, we're talking about moments that are – that are part and relatable to what we know. But sometimes knowing what the players' backgrounds are mm-hmm. or knowing where they were from help you kind of craft something that's specific for them Um, that is still very – Relatable and human. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that the, the big thing to remember is that psych, the, the key to psychological horror is that it's a mirror for the darkness inside of us. Yeah. You know, um, you really want to show them something that they can then relate with. I did I mean, it to you and you, you kind of brought it up. Your one character. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I played a scene basically out with mm. uh, Sarah's character where – she didn't really know what was going on until after it was done and mm-hmm. she realized that what she saw wasn't true wasn't real wasn't what 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 she thought she was thinking what she was thought she was in that it was illusion and the murder that had occurred was actually someone she knew mm. it was and it was there was there was definitely a crash at the end of it of like an oh 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 yeah Oh no. <laughs> yeah, so those kind of things you have to be you you have to be aware of that you have that power to be able to do that. But I think especially with horror and dread that you really have to be careful how far you go. Yeah. Cuz it can get out of hand. Oh, it can. It can. And uh, if your players aren't ready for that kind of stuff or aren't prepared for it, I think you can you can you can push that envelope a little too far. Well, and I, and I think that's that's kind of uh, one um one of the other aspects too of like especially the the, the human side of horror, the psychological horror, mm-hmm. is that um I I think it's I think it's easier to put something in front of them mm-hmm. to make them to be the object upon which you know the horror is enacted to make right. them feel it rather than try to do it to the to the players themselves. One hundred percent agree. Um, and it, this is like basically the pillar upon which like the relatable villains. Mm-hmm. Are built mm-hmm. um, because uh, they're like they're posed as the villain, but a relatable villain is someone who kind of like leaves you asking like, "Are they right? Like I kind of see where they're coming from." Yeah, but they're doing all these atrocious things. But the bandits, but kind of thing. Yeah, but but they're kind of right. But oh god, what does that make me? Right. You know. Right. Um. Or like like Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I very think much so. I think is a, is a great is a great example of this because it's like he's polite. He's cultured. He's refined, mm-hmm. professional, super educated, educated, and a murderous cannibal. Mm-hmm. And only one of those things that I just listed is something that we don't really all aspire to be. No, educated, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, years of college, humans taste like chicken. So why not? Right? Well, not all of us. Okay, uh, but 
<laughs> uh, but it, it kind of leaves us feeling like, you know, like like Hannibal Lecter is not such a bad guy when he's being nice and polite and actually defending Clarice at certain points. And, you know, but but then he just murders everybody in the room and you're like, oh, oh, that's right. That's why he's the bad guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and Knox kind of pointed out here something that's like uh, um, he kind of gave example. But one of the things that he said, like Dracula and Castlevania. I think Dracula yeah. is both. No, I think it's a great example. Yeah. Because he is very human in, in – I'll say hu- humanistic in a lot of aspects where you can identify his plight. I think in a lot of the the um, retelling of Dracula's the, um, that you get – like Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula has, a, has so much human aspects to it. Mm-hmm. That you sympathize. Yeah. You understand. I mean, his wife was murdered. I right. Mean, so, you know, wouldn't you kind of go a little bonkers if mm-hmm. your wife were murdered? Mm-hmm. Can you kind of blame the guy? Is he a vile creature of the night who made a pact with the devil? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, you can draw you can draw that straight line up until it diverges, and that's what's scary about it. Yeah, actually, is that you went along on that journey with him. You there's know? a a book written by one of my friends, um, which I won't give all the tales to it, uh, all the all the keys to it, but it's a beautiful book. Um, and uh, I'll I'll post a, a link to it in the uh, in the channel. But in it, he writes about a character who doesn't who is um, who's immortal effectively, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't know his full past. And he's got these this reoccurring vision that keeps coming back to him, mm-hmm. this basically PTSD. Um, and so he never has good sleep. He, he just doesn't. And part of that is being retold in the story is you discover what caused that. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of dread waiting for that horizon in the in the story as you're reading it. Like, yeah. when did this happen? Why? And then when you get to it, you wished you didn't read it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's powerful. It's written very well, but it's a very powerful scene that he writes in there. Mm-hmm. And now you think about him a little differently. Like he's not he's not your typical protagonist, uh-huh. but he's also not an anti-villain. You know, at the same mm-hmm. time, so you're not sure how to weigh him. And he's a main character in this. The other character has her own flaws mm-hmm. clearly, and has her own background in series. So you, there's this coupling that they kind of make up and you're you're questioning like you're following them but you're like are they right are what they doing are they heroes Mm -hmm. or are they struggling to survive with what they have right and it's 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 interesting it's definitely interesting i like i like those kinds of stories so so all right we are we are halfway through the show are we halfway through this (laughs) uh no we are we are i think we are i think Uh, we are we, we talked a lot about what Horror and dread are, mm-hmm. and kind of how, uh, like, uh, what what defines them, what evokes them. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you make it? What's the recipe? Well, consent, consent, consent. We're gonna hey. start with that consent conversation and consent. Number one, always. Uh, yeah, um, horror is a is a genre or is a mood that is very very easy to hit people's PTSD triggers and stuff like that. So even scenery. I mean, the last thing you want to do is have a, and I I watched it happen once. Mm-hmm. Not a good thing. It is not good to bring up war scenes, regardless of if they're fantasy or real, in front of people who've been to war scenes. Yep, that is challenging. Yep. Because you can't – many of us – I'm not going to say everyone in this this podcast can't because I'm willing to bet there are a few and thank you. It's a horrific thing to have to go through. But for those who have been first responders, mm-hmm. you know, firefighters, police, uh, military, paramilitary, coast guard, I mean lifeguards, anyone who's had to see and deal with a traumatic situation, there are triggers laid out through that that they're not 100 percent aware of. Yep. That comes to them yep. and how they handle those are very different and some of them handle it one way and some handle don't handle it other ways. Mm-hmm. So you have to be mindful of that as a storyteller and that's hard it's because you don't have that party distance of paper between you and them. So when you drop something to the table and it 
doesn't go like you expected, mm-hmm. just be prepared that you might have to like take a giant pause and just walk away from that whole scene yep. and scrap absolutely. it. So be prepared for that in these kind of situations. Anytime you're dropping a heavy mood like that, yeah, absolutely. So no, I will. I will say one other thing, mm. just on the on the player conversation and consent thing. Sure, there are just some people who just aren't affected by this and don't don't like it. I agree. Um, like I, I was, I was kind of shopping around, playing a uh, a game of dread, like a, a little Call of Cthulhu one shot yeah, horror yeah. sort of thing. And honestly, like I, th- I think even you, you were just like, yeah, not really something I'm into. No, it's, I, I'm not. Re- I mean, I would do it if you needed an extra person. Mm-hmm. I'd be okay with doing it. Yeah, and I think I think I could find fun in it, but. I don't like watching horror. But yeah, but you'd have to find the fun in it. There was something that yeah. you were enthusiastic about. Right. Um, I think I got a hard no from from Sean too. He was yeah. like just like, no, it's not. Yeah. Vicky's out, no doubt. Absolutely that, not something she, I'm she, into. She doesn't need stress in her life and that's one of the things that's that, yeah. that, that that's the type of game she does as well. So mm-hmm. definitely it's a shop around kind of thing. Yeah. So. Um, all right. So you've had the conversation about consent. Have your players' attention. Oh, God, yeah. Okay. That's hard enough. Building suspense and horror and dread depends on an emotional buy-in yes. from your players. Um, nothing's going to destroy the mood more than someone shouting, where's the Cheetos from the other room <laughs> so while you're trying to describe an unfolding horror that that's is going true. on. That know? is true. Yeah, it's it's about a certain level of ambiance, mm-hmm. but that that frames where you are. Mm-hmm. It frames that focus and making sure that everybody's there for that and holding that and keeping that suspense. Yes. That Someone's on their phone. You're going to be like the slurping being comes out from, you know, sl- in a slime trail from the from the shadows revealing its many mouths and the wait, what's going on? I said many mouths. You know what? Whatever. Yeah. It attacks you. Roll yeah. initiative. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think that's the thing is, is that as a storyteller who's telling a story about suspense, I think you have to have a little more center than to be able to just, you know, do that. Yeah. To break away from it. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Push through. Push past it. Yep. Push past your initial reactions of, ah, crap, fuck it. Don't. Mm-hmm. Step back into it. Take a pause. Give them some anticipation. Make them listen for it. Yep. Keep your calm. Pull that chi if you need to. Mm-hmm. Maybe throw some let, – let your background music play a little longer. Oh, background music is the greatest thing in the world. I mean we, we kind of did that it's opening. Free, it's free mood. Yeah, yeah. It is free mood. Mm-hmm. Very true, very true. It has – you can you can just play the music and it will mm-hmm. start setting people on edge. Um, finding out that the, the soundtrack for Darkest Dungeon oh, yeah. was on – uh, Google Play mm-hmm. was the and, – and I think it's on Spotify and everything like that. So depending on what music platform you use, yeah. uh, the, the Darkest Dungeon soundtrack is filled with great combat tracks and a couple of those are really great like just low, slow burn, creepy. If you need a scene that just yep. fills you with dread, I used one in our last game. You did. Um, was it was – no, it was a second to last game. Yeah. Um, where uh, I introduced a gibbering mouther oh my God. into the uh, uh, into the the story as a horror element, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a a townsperson who had been driven insane, and they didn't really understand what the full what the full picture was. There, they mm-hmm. kind of thought that maybe it had something to do with this mysterious you know mind control crown that the bad right. guy was wearing. Um, but, uh, you know, they went to investigate and yep. this person just basically gibbered a bunch of like nursery rhymes and half-baked prophecy at them. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, that was effed up. Um, but they mm-hmm. basically just knocked her out, dragged her out of the coal mine that she had locked herself in and sent, uh, her, home. Get, sent her home to her husband. Right. Said, put her to bed. She'll be fine in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of the night, he comes knocking on the door of the inn where you guys were staying mm-hmm. and with fear in his eyes looks at you and mm-hmm. says – She's changed and yeah. doesn't go into much other detail than that. Let me then, from the player's perspective, paint the following picture. So we're like, go home, lock your door. We'll take care of this. We go toward the mine where she went. And literally the path to the mine is warped. Now, I'm not talking like messed up like like a you know, giant monster went through and swept the ground and that kind of thing. No, I'm talking about the iron rails that the carts go in and out of the mine are literally warped in ways that heat wouldn't warp them. And so we're looking at these things as we're moving closer and realizing that not just iron, but like 
everything. The wood, the door, the everything is just oddly warped. And this is playing, which you can barely hear. I get that. There you go. It's a little... Yeah. So that gives you a feel for, like, just how ominous and odd this moment is for and us. They go into the mine and they can hear her gibbering madly. It's just not... the way they were before, but there are other voices this time. Not just hers, but male voices, female voices, unidentifiable voices. Right. And they're all talking. Somehow. Somehow in unidentifiable tones and breaking into bits of laughter and crying piteously. And there's a wet slurping sound. Okay. Okay. Yes, we're getting exactly. There. So that's that's where we're at with setting a dread moment. Yes. That is <laughs> dread. Because you don't know what's coming. There's nothing but ambiance. It's a slow burn all the way to the door. We haven't even rolled dice yet at this point. Like, we're barely even there before this thing presents itself. <laughs> Sheebie-jeebie so, says, nope on a rope. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, 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 I think that was for earlier, but I'll totally play that. I'll take that for the moment. So, understanding that, yeah, exactly. It's in, uh, uh, Yeah. Actually, that's a great point, Elame. Yeah. Uh, actually, barely audible was almost more creepy since you couldn't be sure if you were hearing something or not. Remember, the unknown is frightening. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Knox. So remember that simple background music pauses in your speech. Mm -hmm. um, kind of being indescribable is all part of that lingering dread that leads to horror. Mm -hmm. um, like... <laughs> Another example, uh, I was reading about a guy who wanted to scare his players. So he, the players were entering a town at night, mm -hmm. and he didn't expect to have this. He wanted the horror to be inside the inn, and he rolled. You know, he's behind the table. You know, he's behind his shield, and they're just like, "Okay, so you guys ride into town, and it is dead silent. There's not a single sound but the wind rolling through and lightly rattling one of the shutters." Mm -hmm. What do we see? Roll perception. Everybody rolls. I rolled a 26. All of you look around and see no one. But then at the last second, Tom, you, you catch a shadow and then focus. And standing on the far end of town is a single solitary person Ooh. right in the middle of the road. Leading out of town, his shadow just barely visible between the shadows of the trees. Okay. And you can only see him because of the glare on his eyes. Because your infravision is picking up that just faint shadow and it started to make his trail. Oh, I'm into this. And the players were like, we're leaving town. Nope. <laughs> like, nope. We're nope. out. That's it. We're gone. <laughs> yep. We're gone. And that wasn't the horror. It was just great. one thing he added to That's the story. Great. And he was just like, well, I mean, technically there was one guy who was in town who was this old kook. And he just had him at the end of town staring at them. And uh -huh. he, he had good sneak, but not that good. Yep. And it was like, well, how would he? Oh, well, I guess Tom has infravision. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll say that he catches the glint off of his eyes mm -hmm. at that distance. And it was like, geez, that is creepy. And it's again, it's just setting the mood. Mm -hmm. Right. So. So what else can we do? All right. How else can we bring this around? I, 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 I could probably do an entire episode on this one topic alone. I will try to sum it up very quickly because you know how I am with opinions. And we only have like 15 minutes. Environmental storytelling. Yes. Okay. So you can hand your players a startling realization described through the environment around them. Okay. Yes. Don't – like kind of like what Rob was talking about with uh, with, with my last session there where um, he was describing what was going on on the way to the mine. Correct. Okay. That's environmental storytelling. Okay. Had, I mean it was it was related to the monster mm -hmm. because they uh, – gibbering mouthers warp the ground underneath them. Right. Now, up until this point, this was just a dark elf woman. Right. Her name was Narasa Hlas. Yeah. You know, it's it's – she was the alchemist's wife. Sure. 
She should not be warping the ground underneath her, especially not things like, oh, I don't know, steel rails for mine carts. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, same with the, the the guy's description of the war. Of like the war. The, the war the was burning. Great the, again, it's all environmental right up until the moment yep. that there's something to happen. Exactly. Exactly. So don't, you know, don't describe like how the victim was murdered. Instead, describe them like the coating of black translucent eye core that's around the edges of the mirror. And on the nightstand, describe how several pieces of the furniture are tipped over, not broken, just tipped over, signs of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, describe how there are shards of glass that are sticky with the same I-core that leave a trail all the way to the dead body that sits in the corner with a look of shock and horror, a twisted rictus still on its face even in death. Mm-hmm. With a single jagged shard of glass sticking out of the middle of the chest. Yep. Now, you haven't told them, oh, yeah, a sludge monster broke out of the mirror somehow, which that that leads some questions of its own. Agreed. Um, you know, oh, yeah, it looks like a it looks like a, you know, a, some mirror monster from, you know, from the shadow realm busted out of the mirror and uh, and stabbed him with it. Yep. Describe to them everything the shadow monster did mm-hmm. and leave them to go. Oh, crap. I know what happened here. Because if you hand them all the pieces and they put it together themselves, they personalize it. Yeah. And it makes it that level closer to them. On the other other side of that Mm -hmm. is the part that that we're we're talking about in games where – Discovery is important, mm-hmm. like games where investigation is is sometimes a skill that maybe one or two of the characters might have, and it's an important part of it. And in those kind of things, you can roll out those details in the same way. Instead of just saying, you know, players, you walk into the room, the window is broken. Clearly the exit for the witch, you found the body down below. Mm-hmm. Well, what else do I find? Roll investigation. Mm-hmm. I rolled a 29. You start retracing her steps from the window. Pieces of glass only on the outside, but small, bare footprints, barely moving, one right after the other, lead backwards, entering you into the bathroom. The tile floor slick from water. Ooh. And you just, yeah. again, you're, you're, you're leading them through that investigation. Uh-huh. And they're waiting. You're telling them how the horror unfolded, but not telling them what the horror was. Correct. Correct. The investigation is showing them it and allowing them to start filling in those blanks. And again, that also keeps them a tide because it's a question they asked. Mm -hmm. Whenever there's a role, whatever you're saying is fact. And that is meaningful to the players. Whereas if you're exposing something to them, it might be up for perception. So you can you can leverage that as a weight mm-hmm. as a storyteller is if you want to express fact and have their attention, tell them to roll a die, mm-hmm. even if it is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Have them roll a perception. Have them roll an investigation because they personalize it that little exactly. Bit. It puts and them right back in their character. Going, my character's doing this. correct, and you're now giving facts, and mm-hmm. those that will draw them. That helps pull that attention back together yep. again. So. The last last note I've got out here, and I think we definitely need to get to some questions real quick. Yeah, definitely. Um, is uh, to describe the indes- the indescribable. Oh yeah. Um, there's a quote here I've got from H.P. Lovecraft. Well, I'm going to sit back for a second. And go I, for I, it. I know. I know. Um, there flapped rhythmically a horde of tame, trained, hybrid winged things, not altogether crows. Nor moles, nor buzzards, nor ants, nor decomposed human beings, but something I cannot and must not recall. That's from The Festival by H.P. Lovecraft. Yep. And I, I, I always love that description um, because he, he told us one, two, three, four, five things that it wasn't, but kind of was, but not really. So you can kind of get this mental image of this mishmash of like different disparate things without ever saying it had a beak and it had feathers, but it had these hands, right. and it, you know, and and so your your brain ends up filling in the blank space between these things that he tells you it isn't, but is kind of like, and you get this twisted image of what the biaki looks like in your mind. Um. And if you're going to define, you know, so so describe things, uh, even even monsters like that, um, you know. So don't 
don't say that there's like an otuk uh, coming out of the out of the the uh, um, out of the garbage heap. You know, describe it as you know by its tentacles, by the rows of needle sharp teeth that are lingering in its gaping, slathering maw. Uh, you know, describe the putrid shade of its tough and rubbery flesh and the swarming of the flies and the utterly inhuman screech that it makes as it emerges from the muck. You know, that rather than just saying, oh, yeah, you guys see an Otuk, roll initiative. Right. And it know. helps those players who don't know what an Otuk is. Yeah. Or maybe was poorly described to them in the past. Mm-hmm. Like I've had players who have been like, you know, where you're like, the ogre stands before you. His mass at eight foot nine and four hundred and sixty pounds overpowers your small elven forms. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa! Did you just say he was eight foot nine and four hundred pounds? Yeah, uh, that's the largest ogre I've ever seen. That's when the barbarian two steps away from me goes, "I've seen bigger." Yeah. You know, again, you're framing that reference. You're yeah. helping them understand what they're seeing there. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Always take the time to do that. Take yep. your time, especially – I think that's one of the most important things is to take your time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you can't – if you're reading something, pause. Enjoy it. Let them draw in with you. Plus you want them lingering on every, every word. word. Speaking of which, we have questions. We have questions. You know what? what? I'm going to go right to our special people because right. they're, they're here. So Technolich, what is your favorite horror style? Same question for genre. You know, we're going to set genre to the side. Let's just go for horror style. I mean, because horror horror is kind of a genre. I think it is. Um, as far as horror style goes, uh, I'm I'm a dread girl. Yeah. Um, I I absolutely adore that feeling of seeing and knowing that something horrible is there, but not being able to do anything about it. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Silent Hill series, which I think does dread very well. Um, because they give you the uh, – in, in, the, in the games, typically you have a, uh, a radio mm-hmm. that gives off bursts of just horrible screeching white noise whenever there's an enemy near. Yeah. Like they don't even try to jump scare you. They're no. like, no, he's within 30 feet of you and this is just going to keep making this horrible noise setting you on edge as it lumbers ever closer to you. Yeah. I think for me, um, I'm more comfortable with horror mm-hmm. honestly. Um. Because it comes in other forms, like I was saying, like horrific things are horrific. Mm-hmm. It's 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 easier to to do those types of storytelling. I don't like either in a personal sense, but I think I'm easier with horror than dread. Okay. Like I can I can work with horror easier than I can with dread. Sure. Um, I guess it's just my timing. I, mm-hmm. I haven't done it enough to get used to it. Uh, but I see some power in it. Yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah, see yeah. some power in it. So I hope that answers your question. Um, you want to do Overwatch? Yeah, sure. Uh, what horror movie uh, slash book slash show slash genre would you most like to run a game in? Which would you rather play a game in? Mm. Uh, as far as horror settings go, um, I'm gonna go right back to Silent Hill. Okay. I, I um I I'm a huge fan of the series. I love the lore behind it. Um, especially Silent Hill Two was probably one of the greatest games ever made. Fight me. And uh, I would both play and run a game there. Um, I think I previously mentioned on the show that uh, I wanted to run Wraith um, from White Wolf Games back yeah. in the day. But I would have stripped away everything they wrote about that setting and run it like Silent Hill 2. Okay. I think <laughs> – I, I thought about this one because I saw the question. I was like, hmm. I think if I wanted to run a game, mm-hmm. um, I would probably run – uh, a, a hybrid story of uh, Space Hulk Warhammer 40k. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Where it's where the rules are kind of light, uh-huh. and it's more about survival than anything else. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so no power hammers, no, no, no. That's all part of it. Oh, sure, okay. whatever. Mm. Like your your Space Marines showed up on a Hulk and. It's one of your old derelict ships. Oh, right. We're going to run in a little bit like aliens and less like uh, – Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I'd probably run something like that. But at the same time, there's other things that are going on there clearly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just one thing. Um, playing a game? Um, I don't know if I'd want to play in a horror game or a, a dread game. Um, I think I'd play horror over dread. Yeah, OK. I think I'd play horror over dread. Um and I would say um, there's a couple of um, 
there's definitely a couple of of styles like urban shadows can play horror you can definitely get into it yeah you um, can do it's that. on it's yeah. on because it's more group storytelling sure um i think it would be i'd feel more comfortable in that setting mm-hmm. uh, versus it feeling like it's impressed uh from one place one vision point mm-hmm. you know that that kind of a thing. So I think that's where I would go with that. Okay, okay, okay. So not my cup of tea, but you know I think I, I'd go that direction. Sure, sure. So all right, who do you want to hit next? Uh, I definitely want to go to Sparkle Motion. Go for it, actually, because uh, I think this is a long time listener, first time question asker. Yeah, we've actually got two of those in this. So, uh, let, so let's let's hit Sparkle and see if we can get through some of these. All right, so Sparkle asked a, a kind of a flurry of blows here. Um, uh, so what do you feel are elements that build fear-inducing environment? Um, I think definitely the unknown. Yes. Uh, I think things like claustrophobia, you know, yeah. enclosed spaces, a feeling of a feeling of helplessness is really big. Texture. Um, Texture is yeah. a big thing. Texture is a big thing. Um, I think I think the first thing you want to do is you want to uh, pull the players out of their comfort. Yeah. Okay. So things that are uh, described to them in uncomfortable environment. Cold, um, wet. Co- cold or wet or damp. stuffy and hot. Yeah. Um, you want to uh, uh, possibly give them um, unsettling noises yeah. or unsettling um, uh, lighting, like you know, flicker- flickering overhead fluorescent lights. Yeah, are, you know, very very unsettling things like that. And I think once you've got people out of their comfort zone, it's very easy to evoke fear. Um, so then she asks, "What what are elements you enjoy about a good horror a good horror storytelling?" Um, I, I enjoy the exhilaration of it, honestly. I really enjoy reactions. It. Yeah, walking away from it and just going like, "Oh, yeah, I, God!" I, I think what in, was in that? storytelling, I like watching the reactions. Uh huh. I like seeing that turn. That, oh, that's, yeah. that's fun for me. Oh yeah, watching watching looks on your guys' faces when I was describing the gibbering ho- uh, the, the gibbering mouth was amazing. Yeah. What do you look for when making something scary, but uh, not having a monster? Anticipation. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I, I think that if you don't have something that's just a monster, you anticipate whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I think I think either that or again, uh, you fall back on environmental storytelling, mm-hmm. like like you described at the war. Yeah. The war is not a monster necessarily. No, but it's it does horrible things, and you know it's a da- you know it's a danger, and you see the, the horrible effects on it. Yeah. What should story runners be taking into consideration so they make something scary, writing horror, but not traumatizing their players? Consent is a big thing. Uh, yeah, con- knowing con- your limits. Consent's a big thing, but boundaries. Uh, kind of like I said earlier too. Um, acting upon an object that is not your players. Yeah, is helps. probably the best. Like let let them see the horrors that the the the, the monster or bad guy or whatever can um, can enact, but don't do it to the players. Right. Do it to an NPC. Yeah. You know. And then they'll they'll understand without having to be physically affected by it and experience it themselves. And never start a horror game in horror. Start a horror game in a milk run. Give them framing so that you can start oh, finding yeah. the edges of your players. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pull put them put them in normal and then drag them slowly out of normal. Right. And give them just uncomfortable situations and see how uncomfortable they get. Mm-hmm. That'll give you a good Balance, and then you can slowly ramp up from that point and yeah. hold, and then slowly ramp up or bring down. Definitely, and see where they go. Definitely, Violent Ivy. Thank you for a question, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead Good and shoot, here, shoot this one off. Uh, has every horror story already been written? How do you stay out of tropesville and keep it fresh for your DM stylings? I'm gonna say no because was it Cabin in the Woods, which is a comedy in a way. <laughs> It's, it was kind of a comedy it's away. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. Uh-huh. But that's it's a different horror story. Yeah. So no, there's there's always new horror. And again, horror is a broad topic. Yeah. We're War not just talking about slasher flicks. I mean there's there's always men in rubber mask kills teenagers at camp. Sure, you know? sure. But but I mean, at the same time, there's different types of horror. I would assure you that Monument Men is a horror movie for mm-hmm. somebody. An art critic, maybe, because there's literally a scene where one of them is standing on top of a mine in a mine shaft that is filled with art, it, mm-hmm. whole art that will never, ever be seen light of day if he lets his foot off that mine. And now they have to decide whether this museum curator, not a military guy, is going to live or die right there. And they're like, he's just like, get the stuff out of here. And at that moment, you're like. Holy crap! Something—it's horror. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right there at that moment. So, 
I would say horror is a very wide genre that you have to understand. Are we really that late? Yeah, we are. Wow. All right. Well, let's. Uh, uh, I, I I would I would just simply follow up by saying, um, why bother keeping it out of tropes, Phil? Yeah, go to it. Lean, lean into it. We've talked about tropes before. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Trope tropes are not trope is not a bad word. Um, if, if lean right into tropes, Phil. Absolutely. You'll, it'll you'll end up out of it. Um, it, how how you tell your story and and the players what the players bring to it and their, t- and their at their table is more important than any trope you're ever doing, and it will make it a personal thing for you awesome roll us out there kate wait a minute that's not kate that's a rubber mask hold on a second that's not kate that's old man crenshaw and i would have got away with it if it wasn't for you rotten kids no! <laughs> all right well tune in next week for handling divination like how do you handle players who know your plot? They can read the cards. They can see the future. They got we'll fate. Hand, we'll whatever. talk about it all. You can find us online at uh, on Twitter at st underscore conclave, Instagram also st underscore conclave, and on Discord. Uh, you can find that link uh, as the pinned tweet on our Twitter page, or you can also find it in the description of any of our episodes here on this podcast. You can also get us on Patreon. Go and check us out at Storyteller Conclave there, where you can join us like Knox in a Box, who's been wonderful to us thank you again Knox. our intro music and outro music are both from haunted corpse uh the intro music was the haunted house and what you're hearing now is the undead both are found on freemusicarchive.org we record here at podcast detroit you can find them on twitter at podcast detroit our engineer is kate she really is this time not old man crenshaw and we'd like to thank our families sean vicky thanks for hanging out with us and all of our friends who make our games wonderful and you our listeners, we love you. Good night. Good night.